program created by Rio Grande. San Joaquin County Sheriff's Office calling all cars, attention all cars about that 279 regarding emergency. Be on the lookout for a woman described as five feet, weight 102 pounds, has black hair, brown eyes, maybe orange. That's all. Rose Clip. Something funny inside this thing. 
Listen while I rock it. Sounds like something's loose in there. Something pretty big and heavy, too. Yeah. You don't suppose somebody's shipping a truckload of meat somewhere, do you? I don't know. People do crazy things. Anyway, I guess the weather's cold enough to preserve meat for a few days if somebody wanted to ship it. Why, golly, Fred, this thing's got my curiosity up. Oh, there's something dead in that trunk just as sure as you're born. Suppose it could be a human body? Oh, gosh, Fred, for the love of Mikey, give me the chills. Just the same, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if that's what it is. Well, well what do you think we'd better do? Call the cops, of course. Here, let me hit that telephone. Say, operator, get me the police station, will you? Yeah. Hello? Listen, I'm calling from the baggage room down at the Southern Pacific Depot. Say, we've got a trunk here that we think has a dead body in it. Few minutes later, Chief of Police E.J. Baker, accompanied by Captain of Police W.L. Walker and several other officers, arrived at the Southern Pacific baggage room and began questioning the two men on duty there. This is the trunk you phoned us about, is it? Yes, sir. See, where's it supposed to be shipped? Well, I'm not exactly sure. It was put on the baggage coach bound to Sacramento this afternoon, along with the suitcase. They were taken off, and the boys on the train couldn't find any checks on them. Mm, no checks, eh? No, sir. Say, there is a sort of funny odor in here, Chief. Yes, I noticed it, Walker. Mm-hmm. Well, just standing here isn't going to tell us anything. Help you boys get the ropes off that trunk and see if you can't find something to break the lock with. Yes, sir. Uh, there's a hammer and pole chisel laying around here somewhere. I think that... Yeah. Yeah, here they are. No, that's fine. Thanks. Okay, Chief. That's a brand new trunk. The rope looks new, too. Yes, I know. That isn't a cheap trunk, either. The funny thing, there isn't some mark of identification on it. There it is. I shouldn't think a person would want to take a chance of losing a good trunk like that. Well, there she is, Lock's broken. All right, boys. Raise up the lid and let's have a look inside. I knew it. Well, looks like your suspicions are right, fellas. Yeah. Take a look at the body. Have either of you ever seen that man before? No, not me. Me neither. Hey, that fellow hasn't been dead very long, Chief. How do you know, Walker? Let's see here. Inside of the trunk, stains with fresh blood. It's still damp. George, that's right. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he was still alive when he was shoved into it. Well, there's a lot of things that'll have to be found out about this. In the meantime, one thing is sure. This is a case of deliberate, cold-blooded murder. The following day, Chief Baker and District Attorney Norton were discussing the case with Sheriff Walter F. Sibley in the latter's office while awaiting a report on the unidentified body from Coroner A.T. Stoughton. And you say this man was neatly dressed, Baker? Yes, his coat and shoes were missing, Sheriff, but there was nothing to indicate that he'd struggled with anyone. His clothes were in perfect order, even to the crease in his trousers. Mm, I see. Uh, tell me, just how was he lying in the trunk? Well, he was on his back with his head down in one corner. The body was doubled up at the hips and the knees pressing downward on the chest and the legs and feet pushing up against the inside of the trunk top. Uh-huh. Was there anything besides the body in the trunk? Yes, there was quite a bit of men's clothing, presumably his. 
We searched his stuff thoroughly, as well as the clothes he was wearing. But there was no mark of identification on anything, nor anything in the pockets to give us a clue as to who he might have been. Was it the kind of a trunk that would ordinarily be fitted with trays? Yes, that is, there was a place for a large tray at the top. Naturally, the tray had been removed to make room for the body, Mr. Norton. Well, and it strikes me it would be a good thing to locate that tray. Maybe we'd learn something. I've assigned Officer Frank Briari to the case. I'm hoping you'll have something to report by this evening. Yes, I hope so, too. This business has already gotten enough publicity for four murders. Well, that's probably the coroner. He called to see if you right over. Come in. Oh, hello, Southwest. Got anything for us? Hello, Chief. Sheriff. How are you, Mr. Norton? Oh, fine, thanks. Sit down, won't you? Hello, Southwest. What'd you find out? Uh, gentlemen, this case has got me stumped. Well, what do you mean? Well, in the first place, we couldn't find a sign of a wound except a few slight bruises near the top of the head. Later, when we examined the skull and brain, we found conclusively that these bruises held no significance whatsoever. That's odd. And how do you account for the blood we found in the trunk? It evidently came from the man's nose. Probably as a result of being knocked around while he was in there. Uh, what about poison? I'm getting to that. Minute examination of the vital organs is made, and no stain or odor of any poison is found. Did you test for potassium cyanide? That sometimes is rather hard to detect. Yes, but the results were negative. As a matter of fact, every organ in the man's body was found to be in a normal, healthy condition. Frankly, we're completely mystified as to the cause of death. It couldn't have been suffocation. Oh, no, no. We'd have known that at once, Mr. Norton. You're sure that your analysis is correct, coroner? Positive. However, to make doubly certain, I'm taking the vital organs to San Francisco for an expert chemical analysis. That's a good idea. So now, gentlemen, all we have to do is find out not only who this man is and who killed him, but also how in the world a perfectly healthy, vigorous young man could come by his death without a marker. Briari, the officer whom Chief Baker had entrusted with the investigation, quickly learned the identity of the expressman who had driven the trunk to the depot in his wagon. Locating the man, Briari then found out the trunk had been delivered from room 97 in the San Joaquin house. He immediately went there and carefully searched the designated room. Finding little of interest, he questioned the proprietor. So, uh, McVickers was the name of the people who occupied room 97, eh? Yes, sir. Mr. and Mrs. Albert and McVickers. We registered here on Friday evening. Mm, that would be day before yesterday, wouldn't it? And you say they checked out yesterday afternoon? Yes, that is. Uh, Mrs. McVickers checked out for the two of them. I didn't see anything of Mr. McVickers. Where did you say they registered from? In Jamestown, California. Oh, Jamestown, eh? That's the little mining town east of here, isn't it? I think so. Well, did you see anything of a new trunk among the McVickers' belongings? I did, uh, Mrs. McVickers had one sent up to the hotel yesterday morning and then had it checked out early in the afternoon. I see. And uh, did these people leave anything behind them? Uh, in their room, I mean? The boy who cleaned up after they vacated uh, found the box up there, but, but I believe that's all. That's the box over there in the corner. Box? Hmm. Looks more like a trunk tray to me. Yes, I suppose that's what it is. Well, I'm afraid I'll have to take it along with me. It's all right, officer. I don't imagine they'll come back for it anyway. Well, it's a safe bet that Mr. McVickers won't be back after it. Um. 
Several hours after Officer Priori reported the results of his investigation to Chief Baker, there was a conference in the office of Sheriff Sibley, at which District Attorney Norton and Under Sheriff Carlton Case were present. Are those baggage men located the suitcase that was taken off the Sacramento train along with the trunk, Baker? Yes, they did, Mr. Norton. It was brought to my office this morning. Yeah? What was in it? I have a notation of its contents right here. Oh, there was some woman's wearing apparel and uh, several letters from a man in San Francisco addressed to Mrs. Emma LeDoux. And photographs of both the dead man and Mrs. McVickers. Shaving mug bearing the initials A. N. McV and the bottle of beef, iron, and wine tonic. You have the photographs with you? Oh, yes. Uh, here they are, Miss Norton. Mm. Mrs. McVickers is a pretty little thing, isn't she? Yeah. You have the people at the hotel come down to the morgue to see if they could identify the body? Oh, yes. They positively identified it as that of Mr. McVickers. They also identified Mrs. McVickers by these pictures. But nobody seems to know where she is, huh? Oh, no. No, we haven't been able to find a trace of her, Mr. Morton. You know, something happened a little while ago that really has me puzzled. Yeah? What's that? Well, some fellow who comes from Amador County was in the police station and had a look at these photographs. He instantly identified Mrs. McVickers as a Mrs. Ledoux, the same name that's on these letters. He says she lives on a ranch up at Martell Station between Jackson and Sutter Creek. Oh, it is, huh? Do you suppose that could mean that Mrs. McVickers and Mrs. LeDoux are one and the same person? That's what I'd like very much to know. Well, one thing is certain, gentlemen. We've got to find her, and just as quickly as we possibly can. Well, any suggestions, Joe? Yes. We know that trunk was originally put on the train to Sacramento. So I think we'd better send Captain Walker up there to see what he can find out. The letters we found in the suitcase came from San Francisco. I suggest Case were there. And see if he can get a line on the woman. Well, that's reasonable. Chief Baker can concentrate on Stockton here. And I'll go on up to Amador County and see whether or not there's any connection between Mrs. McVickers and Mrs. Ledoux. Fine. That's the plan that ought to get results. Each of the officers left immediately for his destination as outlined by Sheriff Sibley. Under Sheriff Case, arriving in San Francisco late Sunday evening, had just returned to his hotel after several hours of unsuccessful search when the telephone in his room suddenly jangled. Well, oh, oh, who in blazes can be calling me at one o'clock in the morning? Hello? Hello, Case. Mr. Sibley. Oh, yes, Sheriff. I'm calling from up in Amador County. I want you to see if you can locate a fellow named Ben Hawley. Ben Hawley? Yes. He's a particular friend of Mrs. McVickers. Well, how did you find out? Oh, I found out a lot of things. I had a horse and buggy here, and I've been driving around the county all day asking questions of everybody. I thought might know everything. You haven't located Mrs. McVickers, have you? No, that's why I'm calling you. But I found out that uh, Mrs. McVickers and Mrs. LeDoux are the same woman. Is that right? Yes. Robert LeDoux is a Houston rancher up here. He's only the marriage woman. I'll be hanged. I learned from Mrs. McVicker's mother that her daughter's been living there at the ranch lately. She told me that Mrs. McVicker's had left for San Francisco last Friday, that she was going to meet this Ben Hawley. It seems that she's been going with this man, so she might be there now. Try and locate him as soon as you can, would you, Case? Yeah, I'll get onto it right away, Sheriff.
what's the idea of waking a man up at 3 o'clock in the morning? You'll know in a minute. I'm an officer. Oh, I see. Well, come on in. Thanks. What's the trouble? Everything wrong? Her name's Harley, isn't it? Yep. Do you know a woman by the name of Miss Vickers or LeDoux? Miss Vickers or LeDoux? No. No, I can't say I do. You sure about that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Take a look at these photographs. You see this woman before? I, uh, yeah. I thought you said you didn't know her. Well, I wouldn't know her by the name you gave me. This woman is Mrs. Wilcox, Emma Wilcox. Mrs. Wilcox? You must be mistaken. No, that Mrs. Wilcox, all right. I know her very well. She lives up in Amador County. Yeah, I was engaged to marry her last year. Her husband had just died in Arizona a short time before. Mr. Wilcox? Yeah. When did you last see Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Vickers or Wilcox or whatever her name is? Uh, yesterday afternoon. Yesterday afternoon? Yeah, I got a telegram from her, you know, from Stockton last Saturday morning. She said she wanted to meet me at the Regent Hotel. That she was leaving Stockton on the 255 train. And did you meet her? <laughs> yes, sir. I'll, I uh, met her at the corner of 5th and Market Street. We went to a restaurant and then danced for a while and... I met her again yesterday afternoon and took her across the bay to Point Richmond where she caught a train for Stockton. Uh, see? Well, I'm going to keep you up any longer, Mr. Holly. So thanks a lot for your information. Within an hour, under Sheriff Chase managed to locate the conductor of the train Mrs. McVicker had boarded and learned that she had gotten off at Antioch. Then he immediately put in a long-distance call to Sheriff Field of Contra Costa County in which Antioch is located, describing the woman and suggesting that a check of the hotel be made. A short time later, Sheriff Hill called back and informed Chase that a woman answering his description had been located and was being held until his arrival. Chase then telephoned District Attorney Norton in Stockton, telling him that Mrs. McVickers was in the custody of Antioch officers and arranging the meeting there. Shortly afternoon of that same Monday, Chase and Norton met Sheriff Hill in the lobby of a small Antioch hotel, and together they confronted a tiny and very attractive brunette. You're Mrs. Albert McVickers, aren't you? Yeah, that's my name. I'd like to ask you some questions, Mrs. McVickers. Sure, why not? You know these men are police officers, don't you? Certainly. Do I look that stupid? Uh, Sheriff Veal tells me you signed the register here as Mrs. Jones in San Francisco. Why did you do that? I had my reasons, but they are what you think. I know what the trouble is and why you're here, but I have nothing to be afraid about. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Mrs. McVickers. I suppose you tell us everything you've been doing since you and your husband registered at the San Joaquin House in Stockton last Friday. Of course, that's easy enough. Mr. McVickers and I registered at the San Joaquin House last Friday, as you said, and then we went out for dinner. After that, we went over to Allison's furniture store to exchange some furniture. Exchange some furniture? Well, yes, you see, we bought some furniture at Allison's when we were last in Stockton several weeks ago. Mr. McVickers had intended to send it up to Jamestown where he worked as a timberman in a Wellman gold mine. You mean we were going to start housekeeping up there? No, sir, not me. He was going to batch it with some of the boys, but well, he took sick and quit his job, figuring on going to Arizona the first of next week on account of his health. He'd drawn all his pay and was settling up his accounts before he went. He wouldn't need the furniture in Arizona, so he told me I could have it. I see. You weren't intending to go with him. Uh-uh. I was going to take the furniture and go back to the ranch and live with my mother. Well, what happened after you left the furniture store? Well, we ran into a friend of Mr. McVickers, a man by the name of Joe Miller. 
He came up to our hotel room and we sat around for a while and then he and Mr. McVickers went out somewhere together. They didn't get in until, oh, I'd say about 4 o'clock Saturday morning. What happened then? Well, they woke me up when they came in, making an awful lot of noise. Both Miller and McVickers in the dressing room. Wake up, honey, wake up. Me. 
In the afternoon, he took me across to Point Richmond on the ferry and told me to go to Antioch and register at this hotel as Mrs. Jones. Well, he must have met me here this morning. Did you telephone or telegraph from Stockton to anyone in San Francisco telling them that you were coming there? No. No, I'm quite sure I didn't. Then you don't recognize this message I have in my hands, the telegram sent to Ben Holly. Uh, well, I No, no, I don't. One more question. Did the bottle of beef, iron, and wine found in Mr. McVicker's suitcase belong to you? Why, yes. Yes, it did. I bought it at the drugstore under the San Joaquin house in Stockton. About how many doses were taken out of the bottle? Two. And did you take them both? Yeah, I did. I'd like to ask you a question, Mr. McVicker. Just when and where were you and Albert McVicker's married? Four years ago at Bisbee, Arizona. Oh, I see. Thank you. And now, Mrs. McVickers, I'm afraid we'll have to take you into custody and return you to Stockton. Murder is a mighty serious business, you know. Mrs. McVickers' ladoo was returned to Stockton by the officers on the same day of her questioning and lodged in jail. At the same time, an intensive search was launched in an effort to apprehend the mysterious Joe Miller. Then began a systematic checking of the statements made to the officers in Antioch for the prisoner. For several days, an almost constant stream of prospective witnesses filed through the office of District Attorney Norton, telling what they knew about the case. When I delivered the trunk, she told me it was going on on the one o'clock train, that it would be heavy because she was going to pack, pack it full of tissues. So, so I came right back at noon. As I say, my wife and I had the room adjoining 97 at the San Joaquin house. We didn't go to bed that night until very late, but we heard no unusual noises or any disturbance of any kind. And McVickers never said anything to me about quitting at the mine because he was sick. When McVickers asked for his pay, he said he was going to take over the management of the ranch where his wife's mother lives. Said he'd make $4 a day at the ranch where he only made three at the Wellman mine. Even as Mrs. McVicker's reduced statement had conflicted the shows of Ben Hawley, so it was the case in many other instances. Then, several days after her return to Stockton, a Dr. Samuelson called at the office of District Attorney North. You wish to see me, Dr. Samuelson? Yes, I'm physician and surgeon practicing in San Francisco. I read about this case in the papers and thought I'd better come and have a talk with you. I see. Well, go on, Doctor. I've known Mrs. McVicker's for a number of years. On the evening of March 12th, I had a call from her requesting me to come at once to the Concert Hotel, where she and her husband were stopping. When I arrived, she told me that her husband was very ill and asked me to do something for him. She expressed the opinion that he might have been poisoned. And had he been? No, I think not. I treated him at the time and asked him if he knew what was the matter. He said that he didn't know, but that his wife had told him it was probably the clams and beer they'd had for supper. Mm-hmm. Well, what then? He seemed to be getting better, so I got ready to leave. But before I went, Mrs. McVickers requested that I give her an order for sign out of potassium. And did you? Yes. I forget now the excuse you gave me for wanting it, but I remember that I filled out the order. Well, this may turn out to be a very valuable bit of information. Possibly, but I haven't finished yet, Mr. Norton. The following morning, Mrs. McVickers came to my office and asked for some morphine. She stated that she was addicted to the use of it and had been for years. She doesn't look like a narcotic addict to me, Doctor. Perhaps not. At all events, I gave her one gram, or 60 grains of morphine and half-grain tablets. Didn't you consider that rather dangerous? Well, as I say, I'm known Mrs. McVicker, so... Well, come in. Oh, I didn't know you were busy, Mr. Norton. Well, that's all right, Baker. I wanted to talk to you about the McVicker's case. 
Well, incidentally, there was a telegram came for me a few minutes ago that I thought you might want to see. Oh, pardon me a moment, Doctor. Copy of the one received by Coroner Southworth. Hmm. Examination submitted to me on March 26th with the stomach pancreas and liver of a dead man found stuffed on March 24th. Disclosed a small quantity chloral and large quantity morphine. Persistent efforts to find cyanide or potassium result in positive proof of its absence. What do you think of that? Well, in view of what I've just learned from Dr. Samuelson here, combined with the findings of Dr. Rogers, I think we can get an immediate indictment against Mrs. McVickers. A few moments later, District Attorney Norton and Chief Baker were confronting Mrs. McVickers Ladue with this new evidence in her cell at the Stockton Jail. Now, you might as well tell us about it, Mrs. McVickers. We know you did it, and we know why. I didn't, I tell you. I didn't. It was Miller. Oh, come now. We don't think there is any such person as Miller. You just made him up. Oh, that's not true. Miller killed my husband. No, Miller didn't, and nobody else except you. You were afraid that your secret of having two husbands would be discovered. Besides that, you wanted McVickers' money. What little he had. No, no. So you went to Jamestown and got McVickers to quit his job at the Wellman Mine. You told him that your mother would pay him a higher salary on her ranch. And you took him into believing you'd keep house for him there. Lies, lies, they're all lies. Then you made him collect all the money that was due him and brought him here to Stockton. And then you put some of the morphine you'd gotten from Dr. Samuelson into a glass of tonic. A deliberate overdose. You meant to ship his body off in the trunk on the one o'clock train. But you couldn't do that because there wasn't near enough death at that time. That's true now, isn't it? Confess it. It's true. I didn't kill him. Really, I didn't. It wasn't me. I admit I put Al's body in the trunk, but but I didn't kill him. I had a hard time doing it because he was heavy. Terrible heavy. But I didn't kill him. All right, Mrs. McVickers. That's all we wanted to know. What about this fellow, Joe Miller? Ah, uh, he's a guy that wrote a joke book. But this joke is on Emma, and she's going to have a long time to laugh at it. <laughs> moment, we will give you the concluding facts regarding our program. Start the work week right, friends. Make the business of driving a pleasure and a car-saving, money-saving satisfaction by taking with you, wherever you go, the safe and sure protection of Rio Lube motor oil and Rio Grande Crash. The more power, more miles to the gallon, gasoline of police car performance. Emma McVickers was indicted and tried for murder and sentenced to be hanged. But her sentence was commuted to life imprisonment. Through the bitter years of a long life, she is learning that crime does not pay. Ten Wilson County Sheriff's Office calling all cars, attention all cars, the cancellation brought to 279 regarding a murder. Second case is now in custody.
This is your narrator, Frederick Lenzo, bidding you good night for Rio Grande. Thank you.